0: Hi, my name is Haley, and this is Straight Talk with the Doc, a podcast on addiction, mental health, and treatment. I'm here with our medical director, addiction medicine specialist, Dr. Bott, and our content director, Jeff. How are you doing?
1: Doing well, Haley. How are you guys doing?
2: I'm doing well. I'm doing well today.
0: I am too. So today we're going to be talking about bipolar disorder, which I'm sure most people have heard of but may not understand what it actually is. And we have a unique perspective today because Jeff was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder and he's agreed to share with us about his experience with the disorder. So Jeff, I'd like to ask you some questions about that, but first I want to start by explaining what the disorder is for those who don't know. So Dr. Bott, what does it mean to be bipolar?
1: Well, bipolar is essentially a a mood disorder and it's classified as a mood disorder because it's it's hallmarks are distinct periods of elevated moods or depressive moods. But, you know, depending on the type of bipolar disorder you have, you can have distinct periods where somebody is persistently elevated, where they're expansive or, or irritable, where their mood is, is sustained that way for days at a time. And... um i know when people hear bipolar disorder there uh, there's i think there's an assumption that there is an up and down and it, the down being a, a a steady depressive component but not necessarily in terms for the diagnostic criteria so many people with bipolar disorder have elevated periods where they are very high in terms of their energy level the the distractibility, their mood is often very euphoric and they feel very grandiose. And during that time, they don't need much sleep. They can start focusing on a specific task uh, in an overzealous manner. Uh, they jump from topic to topic. And and these are known as what the manic or hypomanic phase. And we can talk about this in more detail. But, you know, in essence, it's a, it's a period where you have a functional and mood shift from your normal baseline where you're higher or more elevated than normal and oftentimes offset with depressive components um, depending on the individual.
0: You mentioned different types. Can you kind of explain to me what the different types are?
1: Bipolar is a spectrum, but uh, in general, there's a bipolar one disorder, a bipolar two, There's this thing called cyclothymia, and then there were these unspecified bipolar disorders. But bipolar one, it's it's basically classified by a period of mania, where during that period of mania, a person shifts from their normal mood to a period of this elevated or irritable, expansive mood. Plus, they're often very um, distracted or grandiose, Plus, they have these flight of ideas where they they jump from idea to idea, topic to topic. They often speak in a very pressured manner. And you you see them, you know, going on for days at a time like this. And this is not secondary to a substance uh, or, you know, an abused agent. And um, that's mania. And and mania is often, you know, there for days at a time. And... um, it has to be, I'm sorry, in order to be diagnosed as a manic episode. And that that's kind of hallmark of bipolar one. You have to have a manic episode and uh, bipolar two is where you have a hypomanic episode. So you have those set of symptoms that last for days at a time, but they're at a lower degree. And in order to be bipolar two, you have this hypo or, you know, lower mania. And, um, often you have to have a, you have to have a depressive episode, a major depressive episode at some point in that cycle. And that distinguishes bipolar one from bipolar two, mania versus hypomania. Then bipolar two is a hypomania with a major depressive episode at some point. And uh, the cyclothymia is actually when you cycle in, in those, you know, ups and uh, to the, your baseline and to some downs, depending on the individual. So that kind of is, um, you know, a brief description of the set of bipolar disorder.
0: Are you born with bipolar disorder or can something happen in life that triggers it?
1: You know, there's a lot of uh, science and research that shows that bipolar has a, uh, a genetic or heritable uh, predisposition. And, um, you know, we often don't see it come about till later on in life. Most people don't get discovered to be bipolar till their 20s and uh, that's often when you know the diagnostic um, you know the diagnosis takes place and uh, the interesting part about bipolar disorder is often it's hard for for you know physicians and and people to um, diagnose it only because you know we have to tease out um, normal and uh, non or non normative behaviors. And, um, you know, when you look back in retrospect, sometimes, you know, people because of different comorbidities, and sometimes mixing of substances, and the time it takes to enter in and out of different, you know, clinical um, venues, or, you know, go to your doctors, it, it can take years before somebody's accurately diagnosed. But, um, you know, in the end of the day, um, you know, there is a family history that often exists. And so if you take that into consideration, looking at a family history and teasing out if this was an effect of substances or not, um, you can often be pointed in the direction that this might be bipolar when those manic episodes um, start to occur.
0: Okay. So you mentioned most people get diagnosed in their 20s. Is that because symptoms don't present until then?
1: I kind of would disclaim that. You know, I, I think from an epidemi- epidemiological perspective, you know, we do see it in later adulthood and, and early 20s as when most common bipolar occurs. But the symptoms often start earlier in life. I think there was a swing where many people were probably misdiagnosed too early. And, you know, I think now people are starting to course correct a little bit because um, I think, you know, depending on the, the decade that we were in, you know, a lot of times bipolar became very, uh, I think popular, lack of a better word. And, and many people used it so loosely that, you know, people were misclassifying and being misdiagnosed. So, um, you know, you the symptoms often are pre-existing the diagnosis, and, and that has to happen in order for us to accurately, you know, diagnose. It's often in retrospect. So the symptoms are there often in uh, as early as adolescence. Some in childhood. It's, it's rare to see, you know, children, you know, have it, but it's it is there. But uh, adolescence is often when we do see the periods of mood swings. And and irritability, where there's these periods where somebody can look back and say, wait a minute, this looked like it was mania or hypomania. And it often takes going into hospitals or, um, you know, the behavior getting so out of hand that uh, it it ends up warranting seeking medical attention. But that's often um, later in their lifetime, meaning uh, in their early, later teens and early twenties.
0: So with these mood swings and other symptoms, what kind of things in life does bipolar make it difficult to handle?
1: When somebody suffers with bipolar disorder and because of the nature of what this, the mania or the hypomania can look like, you know, it can really have difficulty in all aspects of someone's life from their occupation to their relationships to their education. I mean, just to put it in perspective, when somebody has a full-blown manic episode, I mean, these are people that you, it's not, you know, you you would notice the change. I think people, again, I mentioned this before, use these terms, I'm manic, or to just, you know, describe an accelerated phase in their life, or when they're kind of doing things in a hectic pace, but to truly be manic, I mean, these people are a sustained period of Days in a row where they're talking super fast, and they are doing reckless things, and they are spending money recklessly or engaging in activities that are reckless. They are, you know, their speech is so, you know, off the wall, and and their behaviors are so off the wall, and the level of their thinking, they often think there are, you know, some things that they're they're not. They 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 have this sense of. You know, elevation, grandiosity, increased self-esteem. And um, it, it, it's very, very uh, distinct. And um, it can affect every every part of your life. And when it gets so extreme, you know, you can end up getting hospitalized. Um, and that's actually one of the, you know, um, criteria that if somebody ends up getting hospitalized because of that behavior, that would be considered a manic episode. Um, or they have legal consequences because of the, you know, uh, lack of a better word, outlandish things that they they, they do. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes these episodes get so um, severe that they can become psychotic and delusional where their reality testing is not intact and uh, they're often believing and thinking and doing things that are not true and um, or acting upon them that are not real. And that's the unfortunate side of those people who, uh, you know, aren't treated or have severe episodes.
0: So Jeff, I'd like to ask you a couple questions about your experiences. Can you tell me when did you receive your diagnosis of bipolar disorder?
2: I was first diagnosed when I was twenty eight. Um so that would have been about six years ago.
0: Okay. How did receiving that diagnosis kind of like influence your outlook on life?
2: I mean it definitely changed it. Um I mean in some ways it was good because it kind of like, put a lot of things into perspective for me. It, you know, enabled me to be effectively treated um, for the first time in my life. I, I'd been misdiagnosed with other things, mainly depression and ADHD before, um, and obviously the treatments, you know, weren't very successful. It's a, it's not a diagnosis that anyone wants, <laughs> you know, um, but overall, it, getting diagnosed and being able to be, you know, properly treated has overall improved my life.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, before you got the diagnosis and the right treatment, you know, did you notice a big shift in your life before and after that period?
2: I don't think it, the changes were very fast. I think the changes were more like gradual over time as I kind of like got to know myself better and got to know my like cycles and my triggers and um, you know the things that would impact me. Um, but that kind of took. A, that was kind of a more gradual. I, I, it wasn't like an immediate overnight change.
0: Have you experienced negative effects in your life due to being bipolar?
2: Uh, yes, very much so. Um, you know, it impacts at some point my relationship with pretty much everyone in my life. I've experienced the whole gamut of consequences as a result of, you know, my bipolar disorder, but it it kind of is
1: what it is. I'd like to uh, thank Jeff, you know, for sharing that perspective. I know it's not easy often for people to speak about their personal experiences and, you know, reveal such an intimate part of themselves. So Jeff, thanks for speaking about that and uh, sharing your your experience.
0: Dr. Bott, what's treatment like for somebody with bipolar disorder?
1: Treatment is often with medication. I think when somebody's in those manic phases or hypomanic phases where they're so elevated and their symptoms are so significant that medications are the hallmark for treatment there. So we use this term mood stabilizers, in essence, because that's what they do. They they stabilize your mood. So if you if you think about it like as a straight line, and a and a manic episode is that a periods above that line, and depressive episodes being below that line, you know we want people to come back to that flat line in in the middle, and so these medications that are out there that have been around for years, are are used to help people, you know. Become level, and uh, again, I think people use this term—you know, bipolar, or manic depression, or you know, mood swings—you know, uh, loosely. But uh, again, it's it's a significant disorder; it's a serious disorder, and uh, you know, uh, it has to be treated—you know, properly.
0: Are there any physical effects or symptoms, or is it all mental symptoms?
1: You know, when somebody's suffering with any mental health condition you know, it can have its effects on uh, your you physically. So if somebody, for example, is in an in a elevated manic phase where they are super accelerated, they start to become super focused in, you know, specific goal-directed activities, they often don't take care of themselves. They can start getting, you know, uh, habitually reckless they engage in inappropriate sexual activities um, they often may not eat they can be using illicit substances um, and because of those things those can you know people can contract sexually transmitted diseases they can um, have the negative effects of drugs or alcohol they can neglect their nutrition and they can obviously neglect their fundamental hygiene or their their underlying medical, co-occurring disorders that might might be there stop taking their other medications so because of those things they can affect you physically there's so much that happens when somebody is suffering with a, a, a hypomanic or manic episode or the other side the depressive episodes that often self- neglect um, is is unfortunately a consequence and um, yeah the the physical, consequences can uh, be a result of that.
0: Okay. You mentioned abusing drugs and alcohol. How does abusing drugs or alcohol affect someone who's bipolar?
1: Imagine this, you know, we all know that drugs or alcohol are not good for you. So if you put something on top of a a mental health or physical condition, you're just going to make it worse. The the thing with uh, bipolar disorder is that being that it's uh, a psychological and mental health condition. When you use drugs or of abuse, which affect your mental health and your mind and the way you think, you know, it just definitely complicates the whole thing, you know, with bipolar. The, the, the the difficult part is, is that due to those manic or hypomanic phases where there are so much risk-taking and there are so much impulse control issues, you know, when you add drugs or alcohol that alter the way you think, the amount of risk taking and the amount of consequences just that is exacerbated. And, you know, bipolarity is often, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, associated with even suicidality, and suicidal attempts. And so when you mix these drugs and alcohol with your mood being altered, you know, people can even Make major, you know, attempts at self harm. So uh, definitely, drugs and alcohol mixed with bipolar is a, it's 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 a, it's a perfect storm for a bad outcome.
0: Um, because you mentioned, you know, the self harm aspect. Is there a link between um, having bipolar disorder and attempted suicides or self harm?
1: Yeah, we do we do see this we do see this in clinical practice, and those who may be diagnosed with it or family members may have seen it, of course, on a personal level, but, um, yeah, just the inherent nature of having that type of mood disorder and the impulsivity that goes along with it. Often when you're in a certain phase of, um, the, the depression or the even coming out of the depression, heading out of the depressive into the, um, steady state where you have the energy now or the mania, uh, hypomania, excuse me, that could be coming out, you know, um, that impulse dysregulation renders people more susceptible to act out on, um, you know, their thoughts. And if their thoughts are negative or, you know, suicidal thoughts happening at that time, uh, unfortunately, we do see a a, a link between suicidal attempts and ideation and, and bipolarity.
0: So for someone who is receiving treatment for their disorder, will they have to receive treatment for the rest of their lives?
1: For most people, bipolar disorder is a lifelong illness, and they should be under supervision and treatment, um, yeah, for their entire lives. You know, we do see um, you know some evolution in, in the course as people get older. Often we see their ability to maybe anticipate symptoms and recognize, you know, behaviors earlier so they can intervene and physicians can kind of, um, you know, anticipate what course and what meds and what other type of therapeutics might need to be implemented. But um, yes, unfortunately, you know, most pa- patients are going to be uh, dealing with it for the rest of their lives.
0: And for someone who's struggling with um, bipolar disorder and an addiction at the same time, can they successfully be treated for both at the same time?
1: Yes. You know, the, the good part is, is that um, bipolar is a treatable illness. And, you know, obviously when you're mixing drugs and alcohol with any sort of physical or mental health condition, especially with mental health illnesses, you know, drugs and alcohol mimic or exacerbate or, you know, artificially relieve, you know, mental health symptoms. So it's important that treatment is, is received and that the appropriate diagnosis and assessment is taking place. And that, um, you know, oftentimes we try to like, address the addiction so we can get to the root and underlying true self of a human being. So it, it's really important, you know, that uh, both aspects are are treated.
0: For somebody who is struggling with both, if they're seeking out help and a clinician tells them that they can't treat both at the same time, should they seek out another opinion?
1: There are so many entities, um, practitioners, you know, healthcare facilities rehabs that have the capability to handle people or treat people that do have both addiction and mental health bipolar diagnosis. So, yeah, I I would try if I was a patient suffering with both, I I would want to get both addressed, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, it's not something that, um, a person who's not in an episode, in an exacerbation, and whose uh, bipolar is somewhat relatively stable, that they cannot get treatment just solely for their addiction at that time. So, as long as that addiction provider or treatment facility is aware and able to recognize and triage, and you know, seek out that additional support or help, or bringing bring in additional providers to make sure that. Um, in the event that the episode starts to exacerbate or occur, that um, you know that intervention can can take place. So I'm not necessarily saying that um, you know it, it, it has to occur in a place that provides dual diagnosis treatment, but it's often good that uh, whoever's treating that patient um, has that uh, you know exit strategy um, or has the ability to bring in resources when needed.
0: Thank you, Doctor Bot. Jeff, I have a few more questions for you. Have you ever felt or experienced any stigma around being bipolar?
2: Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I'm pretty open about it. I know I know why a lot of people aren't. I look at it as just a disability. If I was blind, people would probably not would probably be able to recognize that from like visual cues or deaf. I have to tell people um, luckily, I get to disclose it when I, I want to, but I haven't had really much, like, direct stigma directed at me. Usually, frankly, people are surprised when I tell them.
0: I mean, do you feel like it's beneficial to you to disclose it?
2: Yes, I do. First off, I'm not embarrassed about it. It's just a part of who I am. Second off, eventually anyone who is gets close enough to me will notice my mood changes anyway. So it's better just to, I I find it better just to, you know, explain it ahead of time.
0: So as somebody, you know, with obviously a firsthand experience with this, what do you think is the best way for people to offer support to their
2: loved one who's bipolar? That kind of depends on the person. Like Dr. Ba was saying, there's a real wide spectrum. um, And some people are frankly, impacted much more than others i am lucky i am you know i lead a completely not completely but pretty normal life um you know i I don't really require much in the way of like accommodation or anything many people do ask i I would say ask the best way to do is just ask in general i guess i would say educate yourself on the on bipolar And then be aware of when your loved one is, you know, experiencing symptoms and maybe, you know, change the way that you are acting around them or thinking about their behavior and maybe be more aware of why they might be acting a certain way and how the best way to respond to that would be.
0: Is there anything else, Jeff, that you'd like to share on your experience, you know, that you think might be helpful to people
2: there is a lot of stigma around bipolar i guess in general even though i haven't necessarily experienced much of it directly i personally feel like i am not my condition it's just a part of me general more awareness would be nice if you are bipolar or have any mental health condition for that matter. You know, I I just feel like it's very important for you not to feel ashamed or embarrassed of that part of who you are. And you know, your treatment is your responsibility. And that's important. But help is out there and it, it will get better. And you can lead a life that is satisfying to you. Yeah, it's possible.
0: Well, thank you, Jeff, for being open today about your experience. And Dr. Bot, thank you for breaking this down with us even further. You can check out more episodes on addictioncenter.com, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And you can also write in your questions to Dr. Bot on Addiction Center. Thanks for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with the Doc.